Welcome to Wadcast. I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town. Entering the Blue Stone is Molly Tinsley's heartfelt account of something too many of us have had to face, caring for aging parents. I must admit that having gone through the same process myself, along with my brother and sister, I was at first reluctant to pick up Molly's book, but I was glad I did. There's something cathartic reading about someone who has had a similar experience, a feeling that we're all in this together. I'm grateful to have Molly here to talk more about her book and her parents. Welcome, Molly. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. So your book came out a while ago. What feedback have you received from others? Well, I've had I've had a lot of positive feedback from a, a variety of people, really. Um, my age mates, um, some of whom are dealing with parents, but sometimes it, since it has been a while, they're dealing with spouses whose abilities are di- diminished. Um, but also I've had positive feedback and a lot of support from professionals in the geriatric field, um, from nurses that are in hospice. Uh, here in Southern Oregon, a retired cardiologist teamed up with me. I, he took me under his wing, actually, loved the book, and we went around to different libraries in the county and gave presentations about end of life. Mm. His mission is has been to advocate for preserving and honoring the choices of people who have reached the last phase of life. And he saw my book as really a containing huge examples of why this is important and how to go about it. And actually, I can think of one woman who came up to me at one of those presentations and bought four copies of the book. She had just received a diagnosis of Alzheimer's herself, and she wanted a copy for each of her children. Wow. So I I think it's a a useful book on a lot of different levels for a lot of different people, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to find that out. Well, I, you know, to me, it, reading it, it wasn't a how-to book, uh, so to speak. You were talking about your experience with your parents yeah. and working mm-hmm. with your siblings, but within it's that... It's how-not-to one. Right? Yeah, well, in many cases, but I found so much information there, and as I as I told you, I'd been through it with my, my own parents, especially with my mother, uh, uh-huh. and, and I found it very reassuring that you had found your way through this, and it sort of validated some of the things that we had done with our parents. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that's good. Right. That's good. Yeah. I, because I think being working together with my siblings had the same kind of effect, that those of us who are in that position can really draw strength and reassurance from people who are doing the same things, perhaps making similar mistakes, but have the best have the best intentions um so yeah <laughs> well now your siblings worked with you and i know that was the case with my siblings with my brother and sister but sometimes that doesn't happen did you hear about any cases where the siblings were not agreeing on what should be done and how does that affect what happens to the parents oh i think you know it takes some a situation that could be really transformative for the care, the people involved in the caretaking and the decision-making and turns it into a nightmare. I have heard of, I, not recently, I haven't heard of those kinds of situations, but when I was going through this, 
we, you, I did encounter people who were kind of working through all the chaos of family life right there when it became a distraction to the decisions that needed to be made. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 and it, the thing I can't stress enough is that it, if, if you can't let go of those, the past issues, you are robbing yourself of a potentially and uh, wonderful, not wonderful, but transformative. That's the best word. Right. Transformative experience. Also, um, I think something that surfaced recently, in my awareness anyway, is the issue with step parents. I, I don't remember that coming, that that was in the air when we were dealing with my parents, but recently my daughters had to um, see their father through to death, mm. and they had to deal with his wife and their, 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 the relationship with, their relationships with her had been fraught. So that intru- and that introduces a whole other level because she that would be somebody that you hadn't known all your life and um, it, it brings in different um, different issues. But I think there probably is available counseling to work on some of that and try to get it out of the picture, out of the picture of the person who is ending his or her life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I know one of the other complications is that sometimes. The children don't all live where the aging parents are. And so a lot of this is being done long distance. Uh, Obviously, that complicates things. Did you find that there were ways to make that easier if you had siblings that were far away? Um, Well, actually, it was my sister and I who were far from the place that we finally wound up moving our parents to. It was in the same town that our brother lived. I see. So he was close and could kind of take care of day-to-day operations. And my sister and I would fly down every, at least once a month for a weekend. Mm-hmm. At first we, we went separately in order to to have more visits to my parents just for the for the, to relieve whatever was going on, you know, to, to bring some light and fun or whatever to their lives. But then it, it just became too much when our parents, when they began to diminish to the point that they really needed physical help and coaxing and, you know, all kinds. It was very, it took a lot of energy sure. to manage them. So we started going down together, and that turned out to be the best solution. Mm-hmm. Then we could both relax and just kind of enjoy being with them. Right. It's, it's a terrible situation, I'm sure, when nobody, when when there isn't the ability to move close to the parents or when moving the parents close to you could be really disruptive. I think it probably was disruptive for my parents. I mean, I know they were reluctant. I, I, they really, it was very upsetting for them to leave their home sure. and move to where my brother lived. But then we had been a family that had moved all our lives. My father was in the military, so there was something sort of routine about the idea of, okay, we're packing everything up again, and then we're going to unpack it at the other end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Molly, when did you first know that your parents could not manage on their own? What were some of well, the warning signs? Yeah, the question is, I guess, when did we 
stop finally denying what we what was probably before our eyes mm. and it was complicated by the fact that my mother had always struggled with depression and she was always kind of dizzy I, I have to call it that at least compared to my father who was so super rational so there were there were things that she said and did that it was easy to say well that's just mother she's always done that you know, mm-hmm. she never could. She she never could count the number of plates that you needed for a dinner. <laughs> you know, right. She'd always bring in one too many or one too few. And um, my father was actually taking antidepressants there too before his Parkinson's at the when you know in that in that phase mm-hmm. when things were getting kind of chaotic. But then you know there were just there was a car accident. There was scrambled finances there were missing credit cards mm. and, and added to the incoherent conversation then I, I went out for a visit and it was going to be my job to decide whether they needed help and actually to be honest I believe that visit it, this is in my book and I haven't reread the book recently but I think I came home from that visit saying oh everything's going to be fine <laughs> and of course it wasn't but then there was very soon I re- it, we we realized we were going to have to do something, that my mother was popping pills indiscriminately, taking mm-hmm. her medication, my mother, her own medication, taking my father's medication. There was, we had no idea what was, what was going on and it all, the situation all needed to be monitored. Mm-hmm. But actually the doctor, the, my, my mother was being treated by a psychiatrist at the time who was simply having a half an hour appointment every month to monitor her depression and the antidepressants that she was taking. And nobody, you know, he didn't seem to think there was anything wrong. He didn't, nobody alerted us. So we had a lot of cooperation in the whole business of not recognizing. And then my mother just became so delusional mm-hmm. from the medication mm-hmm. <laughs> that um, we, we realized we just had to do something. But it was difficult. I mean, it is difficult to reach that decision, particularly coming out of the dark as we were. I do have a feeling that there is more light around the issue now and more awareness. I don't think the issue has gone away. Um, I, I think that there are just as many families, if not more, who are facing this situation. And I, I like to think that now, now, which is basically 20 years after my parents first went into that continuing care facility. I like to think that things have changed even at these places. But I mentioned that to a doctor, oh, a year or two ago, I remember saying, maybe it's, it's not, a, you don't have to be as careful anymore if, if there are, isn't the potential for danger at, a, at today's nursing homes. And he just rolled his eyes and said, I wish. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and then actually I was, one more thing I wanted to mention too, because I was anticipating our conversation, and in a in our local newspaper, I was just leafing through it, and I found a column by a local lawyer about chemical restraints, what you should know. That's the title. Mm. And she points out that, um, I've, I've got the, I underlined this statistic, over 179,000 U.S. nursing home residents are given psychotropic drugs not because there is a diagnosis of mental illness, but rather to sedate the resident, mm. and make them more manageable. And of course, the drugs are not supposed to be used for elderly patients. And when they are, 
they can have terrible effects, which they did with my parents. So that that is a really important area where people's awareness needs to be at the max. They cannot be using, they cannot be using chemical restraints on your parents or loved ones. They just, it's just not acceptable. The FDA doesn't approve it and it's not really legal. Well, aside from the drugs that they're not supposed to be using, I know, Molly, that your parents had difficulty managing the medications that they were supposed to take. And I know that's always an issue with uh, aging parents, especially uh, an aging parent who has dementia or Alzheimer's, not realizing, you know, or remembering uh, when or if I took my medication. Uh, And getting the nursing home or the assisted living facility on board with that can be difficult, can't it? Very, and expensive. Yes. Depending on the place. I mean, it, the, the option that we had with my parents would have cost another couple thousand a month or something. I mean, it was just out, it was out of sight. Mm-hmm. My brother wound up hiring a, a fellow that worked for him in, in, a lab, in the lab where he was at um, the Veterans Hospital at Duke. And he... Um, he used to come out every day, finally, to do mm-hmm. that. I mean, the whole business of medications was sort of a comedy of errors all the time with my parents. You know, there's something very attractive about the different color pills and, yes. you know, their different shapes and everything. Right. And, and, you know, I think they just, they would sort of handle them and maybe occasionally they would go into their mouth. It's, and then we tried those little things where you open a box every day of the week and, and that didn't work because my mother would just open whichever one she felt like. Wanted. Oh, dear. Yeah, I don't have to tell you that, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, well... It's interesting to me because your father was the one with physical issues. Your mother was the one who had dementia or Alzheimer's. And, you know, I know that was the situation with my parents also. And I have a friend who's had the same situation with her parents. And that complicates things because, you know, as you said in your book, if your mother had been, you know, you know, healthy and hadn't been suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's, she might have been able to help your father a little bit more, and maybe they could have stayed in their home a, a little bit longer. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's possible that that could happen, but I think in the case of organic brain disease, uh, it's, it's, it's probably... It's probably not fair to the healthy partner. I, I, I thought about this because I think my mother, on some level, always, she was given prone to guilt. And I think on some level, she felt that she'd let my father down. And I think, actually, he felt that she had let him down as well. But, uh, but the kind of illness that um, Parkinson's is not just physical. You know, it, it, it brings its own mental dimension as well. Right, And right. I think illness like that can quickly erode the strength of the so-called healthy partner. And pretty soon it's, you know, it, it, it's really, I think it's not probably fair to say that if two, if, a, if the partners are close in age, that one of them can take over the care of the other. They can certainly function a little bit better in making that happen. But I do know of at least two cases where the well, the well partner, and in both cases this was a woman, um, just practically ran herself into the ground 
taking care of the other person. Right, right. That can happen, certainly. Yeah. So I know that... It's probably better to acknowledge that the situation's pretty pretty difficult and, you know, you're going to need help and support. (laughs) Right. If you're, as one of the caregivers, as the the caregiver closest to the person who is ill, you're going to need a lot of help and support. Now, I know that you and your siblings did a lot of research before you selected the place uh, where uh, your parents were going to move to, but there were issues uh, with mm. with that place, as I re- recall in the book. Yes, but I don't think we did do enough. That's the thing. I mean, we only, we zeroed in on this place because it was in the town where my where my brother lived. It was in the town of Durham, where Duke is. Mm-hmm. And it's, we visited it and we, you know, went on a tour and we were, I think, impressed with the elegance of the surroundings and it sounded like the food was wonderful and there were lots of activities. It was actually a place where I think able-bodied seniors could really have a good time. I mean, they could, they could enjoy life. Um, however, my parents were right on the edge. They were presenting as able-bodied, but we knew that that wasn't gonna last very long. And actually, when I think of it now, I, that may be a hitch in the concept of a continuing care facility, the, the sort of place that offers independent living and then assisted living and then um, skilled nursing. I know there are lots of them, but the question is, where is the administration focused? Where is, where is the real emphasis? Because to draw people in, you want to draw people in who are who can live independently and to draw them in you need to offer all kinds of resort you know this is like a club med or something right right but but that's very different from what is required for somebody whose debility has increased mm-hmm. and so i think maybe it's it's really important to maybe interview the administration and look around and and get an idea of what the model is for treatment of people who are in the assisted living community and then those that have been moved to skilled nursing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm remembering a time when when we were all in skilled in the skilled nursing facility. My father had had passed on, and it was just my mother and my sister and I. And the, the, I have to say that in all my sort of criticism of the administration, I, I, we loved the certified nursing assistants, and that's where the, our parents got the sort of gentle, loving treatment that they needed, I think. But I can remember one time around the nurses, around the nurses center, all the, all the residents were out in chairs and kind of sitting and paying attention to the buzz and listening to people chatter and all this sort of thing. And one of the administrators came striding through and said something about, we can't have this. These people lined up like birds on a wire. Get them back to their rooms. <laughs> I mean, wow. It just did two days. She was going to bring someone through, you know, and she wanted to show off this sort of perfect place. And it wasn't a place that, it, it, her idea wasn't, a, wasn't of a place that was 
really supportive to the bodies and souls of the residents who were quite diminished. Mm. Did you ever consider moving your parents to another facility? Oh, we did. Of course we considered that. In fact, when we registered protests to the people about what was going on at different stages with our parents, they would say, well, just move. <laughs> just move them. Well, just move? I mean, that, that just kind of, that doesn't cover the territory. First of all, it was traumatic to move them once. And it's, you know, the logistics, the disruption, the confusion, and then where were we going to go where we could be sure that the same situation wouldn't crop up again? I mean, that would, by the time that whole thing was orchestrated, it would probably be a year later, and who knows where our parents would be in a year. Mm. There were people who left. There were, there were people um, in the assisted living and in the skilled nursing areas residents who were there one day and then you heard that they had been moved. I don't know whether it was expenses or what, but mm-hmm. um, it, it it might have been that their family didn't like the treatment they had been given. I don't know. Yes. But just moving, I think the important thing is to do the research on the front end. On the front end, correct. Yeah, I don't think you need, I don't think you can assume that you can just move to old, debilitated bodies from Mm -hmm. one place to To another another. without really kind of wreaking more havoc than is already there. Yeah, I I think that's true. So the the title of your book is Entering the Blue Stone. Tell us a little bit about the meaning of that title. Well, yes, the the blue stone, the title actually is taken from an episode with my brother. My, my younger brother, the one who was in charge of their care, is trained as a scientist. And his attitude toward a lot of the chaos around us was very, um, was to brace against it and, you know, resist it. And, uh, you know, when my mother would say things that didn't make sense, he would try to correct them, which is a futile endeavor, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> so he was, you know, he, he just was hanging on to reason and order as a scientist. But when my father was dying, Christopher showed up one day at, his, at the um, nursing home and he had a stone, a blue stone, and he cited this belief among Native Americans that certain tribes, I don't, didn't mean to, don't mean to be collective about that, but he, he had read somewhere that of this belief that if you gave a dying person this stone to hold, the soul of the person would go into the stone and then you could wear the stone around your neck in a little pouch, which is what Christopher wanted to do with our father. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the idea of entering the blue stone, that that was the process of dying, would actually, in in part, could could be um, thought of as entering this blue stone that you could keep with you forever. Mm. And when my mother was dying, Christopher showed up with another stone for her, but then we used to joke that our mother was probably busy trying to get in her father's stone <laughs> because they really, you know, one of the one of the real traumas for both of them was that when they moved down to the skilled facility, they couldn't have be in the same room in the same bed. Mm. I mean, that was that. I think that is what devastated my father. That's mm. what precipitated his his downward plummet, really. Mm-hmm. Was the fact that he was separated from her. 
And was that because of the care that they had to receive, that they couldn't have them in the same room? No, they just, um, the the rooms wouldn't accommodate it. The rooms were so small that you couldn't fit two beds in in it. I see. I guess you could say yes. I mean, because the beds in the nursing facility were more like, um, were more like hospital beds and they, there just wasn't a way to put two in the same room. Let me put it this way. At least the staff did not perceive that there was a way to do that. Mm. When they were in assisted living, they were given each, they each had a, a room, but then what we did was cut a door through so that they could use one room as a bedroom and one room as a living room. Mm-hmm. And that took care of things for a year. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the, the deterioration continues and they, they were dropped down into skilled nursing. I say down because at this particular place, the independent people lived on the top floors and then the assisted living was on the very bottom floor and then the place was built on a hill so that the skilled nursing actually was built into the hillside and there was only one way out the front, you know. I see. Um, it, it didn't, yeah, you can picture it, I guess. Yes, It wasn't yes. always a down. Always you got in an elevator and you went down a level. How did your siblings feel about the book? Well, my sister actually liked it a lot because she is not somebody... I think writers remember details. And I not only remembered the details, but I was taking notes during a lot of this time, particularly about conversations. Anyway, she liked it very much and was grateful to have it because it, it pulled the whole thing back for her. Even though there was a lot of sadness and frustration, it was an important part of our lives. My brother, I think not so much at first because I sent him a copy and I never heard anything from him. And then oddly, about two or three years ago, um, I, the, our publisher got an order from him for the book. Interesting. So I don't know whether... I mean, I have no idea what happened with him. He and I are not in close touch. Mm-hmm. I'll just put it that way. It has nothing to do with... Um, I don't know what it doesn't have anything to do with. That's probably a whole other issue. As the youngest in the family and I'm the oldest, we we just don't, we're not in close touch the way my sister and I are. I see. Yeah, and he he lives very far away. And I mean, he lives in North Carolina. I'm now in Oregon. It's impossible for him to visit. I mean, for various reasons. And um, so, you know, we exchange communication on birthdays and an occasional phone call mm-hmm. and we, we had a lovely time when our nephew in common got married a couple years ago in Washington DC and we met up there and had a lovely time we always have a lovely time when we're together but you know I sense that there is still a lot of pain for, for him as there is for me but I think it's more with him because I don't I just think he holds I think he holds it. And so being with me just reminds him of that. Well, I think we all process these things dif- differently. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's very difficult. After going through this process, Molly, with your parents, uh, have you discussed, I mean, I know we're all getting older. Have you discussed any plans uh about how uh you'd like to be cared for, you know, 
anything that you learned about caring for your parents that you know you'd like to uh, have done differently or the same? Um, yeah, I think so. I think I think awareness. You know, we're we're aware of more of the possible problems. My husband and I are pretty clear with each other. Have been pretty clear with each other what we what we want, what we don't want, and I think that's good. I don't. It's very hard for me to imagine being alone, losing my husband, and having to make decisions. So I have to say I probably go there tentatively and then back off. Mm-hmm. My daughter has talked about the fact that she would really like me to move down with them if if that should happen. And I and I remember the first time she mentioned it, I was very resistant and thinking that's impossible. And now it doesn't seem so so bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just an idea you get used to. But then I, I have, as I said, I spent my whole childhood moving around. So moving is not as it's become it what has been more a part of my life than for a lot of people. I think I can I can do the moving. Mm-hmm. And it would be fun to be around her and her husband. They're wonderful people. Yeah, that's very nice. So looking back now, any other thoughts or reflections, advice? Oh, boy. You know, what's really strange now is that I and my husband are starting to enter the phase that my parents were in when we first tried to intervene with them. So... I, there is a lot, a lot of the advice that I kind of learned in caring for my parents, I'm now trying to apply to myself. You know, like don't sweat the small stuff mm-hmm. or um, the idea that life is constantly changing and you sort of need to accept change. You know, you need to accept the fact that today you're not the person you were 20 years ago. So I think all of those things are, are the, the things that have to do with letting go of the structures that we build and and being ready for new ones to take shape and adapting to that. I think those are the, are the important lessons. Yeah, another thing I've often thought, too, that caring for my parents and possibly now even dealing with my own aging, it's a lot, it takes, it, it's a lot like parenting kids, being the parent of a kid of a child. You, I just remember with my daughters, I was always sort of creating these systems that were going to solve all the problems that had cropped up that day. But as soon as I had the system in place, it was obsolete because they moved on. You know, they were in a different stage. So I think there's that going on. We have to accept the fact that it, we can't be too rigid with systems and structures because life is so full of change and uh, on it, the unexpected that you really need to roll with it. Well, Molly, you know, we are an aging society, and I think that anyone who's on either side of this, whether you are facing aging or you have aging parents, uh, your book is such a valuable uh, piece of information and so well done, so well written. Oh, thank you. uh, And I think that anybody can uh, benefit from hearing your wise words. So thank you so much for joining me today. Again, I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town, and we've been talking with Molly Tinsley about her book, Entering the Blue Stone. Thank you for listening.